0: If more of supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <America's first. laughs> the blah guys, guys.
2: blah Blubbity-blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity-blah. Good vibes. Blubbity-blah. Good vibes. Blubbity-blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Eight breaths
1: of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a de dre and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that.
2: Point of order here. I was in the space force, of course, and we, we've mentioned this. But um, if I really, truly knew something that was like really cool about this topic, I probably wouldn't be able to talk about it. So I'll just I'll say I'm speculating about all of this.
0: Okay, guys, welcome back to the Great America Show. We are going to be chatting with Matt Lomeyer a little bit later about his book Irresistible Revolution and uh, the Communist Takeover of America. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess it's a
1: Of the western
0: world The really. western world, yes It very much boils down to that We've got everybody's favorite podcaster Grandma Ding Dong Dunlop Hey buddy How's it going buddy? Good, good Have you we recovered from to... your hike with Kevin?
1: Yeah, I'm fully recovered, yeah
0: Kevin has well. moved on
1: Yeah, we had a good Sunday today A couple of awesome episodes in the can for America. Fantastic stuff
0: but they both they both ended up being this show, I right? Th- I think so. So the yeah. Tyco yeah. one, and then yeah. uh, the uh, growing Earth type one. You guys should like that coming up. Some great yeah. shows coming up here.
1: Mar- Mario Build Reps and Simon Shack and and uh, Patrick Lundquist from Tyco Space.
0: Yeah, good shows. You guys uh, should enjoy them. Kind of some space stuff, some <laughs> Earth stuff, some physics stuff. Great. So, what you been up to?
1: Ah, reading uh, the book on the history of magic.
0: Oh, the one we're going to pop in to uh, add extra Outlawed content.
1: We are going to add this into Outlawed. So that's our other podcast feed, a completely separate feed. You go to Outlawed or you plug in in your podcast player. Crime America outlawed or you can actually probably listen to it on the website as well but the 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 subscriber portion of that is the last half of our interviews and now we're going to give you some audiobooks for free in there too so we're going to do uh little little sections and chapters of the history of magic every week for probably a couple months because it's like a thousand page tome but uh it's it's um it's super interesting so far and uh so we got the i got the first one ready for next week it'll come out
0: And uh, Practical Occultism in a short little book, like an hour and a half, that one's out already. So the outlawed content has virtually doubled, I mean, just over the weekend, pow. Yeah. Just like that. Come mm-hmm. on, you, if you guys head over to GrammarCoutlaw.ca, you can check out the free show, free show see if that uh, plus subscription is something you're interested in or not.
1: And Practical Occultism is from H.P. Blavatsky, and, and it's really kind of interesting. She talks about um, the occultism versus the occult arts and what's important to students of this and also some practical suggestions from Daily Life. For daily life, which is almost like, honestly, it's almost like a new thought mixed in with 12 steps and some kind of uh, manifestation stuff. Um, Very, uh, very interesting what they talk about, like just from a daily life, you know, from a daily life. But they also kind of warn like, hey, uh, you know, I don't know. I I don't want to get too deep into it, but, you know, practicing it without dedicating your life to it is probably not a good idea. But this is this is very simple practical stuff. It's not getting too deep within it, though. no half ass in it. Yeah. And that's like another A saying. There's a bunch of stuff in there that were that seemed to me like AA was
0: built from. From theosophy?
1: Well, this from this practical occultism, yeah. Interesting. I get up in the morning, say you're prepared to help sort of humanity. Like it's very like, you know, very much like sort of give your thanks at the end of the day look at what you did wrong and sort of like very sort of self aware and it says watch your th- oh the other the other mix is like the four agreements it's kind of like the four agreements like watch your tongue don't say anything bad or wrong um kind of don't make assumptions and don't let your thoughts go astray like it's very very mindful like watch your thinking watch your speech Um, in a good way, you know,
0: be deliberate.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, the weather's been pretty good. It's been great. I'm thinking, uh, it's only, it's coming up on bow season quick. We should go shooting again soon.
1: Yeah, we should. For sure.
0: I have to get some broadhead soon. I'm going antelope hunting with my bow on September 1st. Cool. Yeah.
1: Is that a long weekend?
0: I don't know what day it is. I haven't looked at that far ahead yet. But.
1: Antelope hunting. So what's special about antelope hunting besides them being super fucking fast?
0: My buddy has a bow tag. Uh, so I'm going to go with with him. So we're going to, and I, they're pretty easy to decoy in. So it should be a fairly, uh, a small target, which is tough. I mean, their heart's probably only about the size of the fist. If that, maybe even a little smaller. But I should be able to get them within 20 yards fairly easily with the decoy when they're rutting and uh, see what happens. Try my luck at uh, the bow and arrow hunting.
1: Is that pretty close by here? That's uh, like
0: probably like two hours away where I'll go. Both that, uh, okay. maybe an hour mm-hmm. 45. You gonna come?
1: Mm-hmm. No, I don't think no, so. That's well, too much to for you. Them way. I don't want to scare you them, them away. You are kind of big and
0: cumbersome and clumsy. <laughs> I could, that's a real concern. I mean, I didn't get any elk until I got away from you in the, on, the, on the elk hunt last year. You're puffing and puffing and complaining. <laughs> Eating your candy bars. Not candy bars, but uh, healthy, healthy candy bars. Are you still on the carnivore? No. No. So you look a little softer these days. But I haven't seen you since you're hiking and biking, so maybe you've hardened right up. You might be slipping into beefcake mode as we speak. I should buy you a chin-up bar for your birthday.
1: I got enough. I got, I got enough. I got body weight to, you know, well, I guess that would be a <laughs> that chin-up That is body weight, I mean, I yeah. could do push-ups and stuff, and I got some weights here. And How, yeah. many? Got, How many? I <laughs> What?
0: Or are these like... <laughs> How uh, many push-ups? Yeah. No, I haven't been report? doing them. Oh, I said okay. I
1: could if I wanted <laughs>
0: I like chin-ups better. Push-ups too are okay, but I'm back on my chin-ups and stuff. So That's
1: I'm trying good. to
0: stick to that at least, you know, 20 or 30 of those a day. Some push-ups in there. I'm not running yet. My ankle's still a little suspect
1: but well, uh, i mean you should x-ray go to physio yet. i've been trying to tell you that like it's covered under your insurance and physio you don't need to go to the doctor first you just go to physio and tell them and they put you through the they put you through the stuff they give you a little massage they do their little uh, their little um radio thingamajiggy and well, that's a good idea i did go to the doctor and, and get the thing some-
0: to get an x-ray
1: Yeah, but they'll do, they'll kind of figure it out for you, I think. I I usually used to just go right to physio when I had an injury.
0: Can I just drop in?
1: Yeah, just, well, no, you make an appointment, but.
0: Huh. Is that any old physio place?
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you'll you'll find a Like I used to have a sports guy that was amazing, but.
0: Does he have a jump? Do you have a jump off
1: the roof of the van guy? (laughs) Yeah, that sports (laughs) would be, that'd be fine for sports. (laughs) Is it uh, here or? We'll give no, you some electrical it. stimulation. The ultrasound is the word I was thinking of, not radio, but the ultrasound. Like, they'll do all that, you know? Yeah, it's pretty sturdy. they'll give you exercises and stuff for it.
0: It's pretty sturdy, but something's still, something's yeah. off. So,
1: of course, that was at the
0: last Randall Carlson event. Things got a little wild on the last night. We had a little party out at Kevin. Shout out to Kevin from Unpaved's party van. And uh, we were having a disco dance party with a live band. And I went up on the roof of the van to take a picture and decided it would be a good idea to jump off. And uh, it ended as, about as badly as it could. Not <laughs> as badly as it could, but close well, to you it. You could have knocked
1: your head somewhere. Yeah, too, I could have, right?
0: like, broke both my ankles or, you know, it could have been worse. But I might have broke one of my ankles. We don't know. We think not. But uh, we never went to the doctor, so...
1: It's just funny hearing it from the people that you landed right beside because, you know, they didn't expect there was no announcement, no nothing, just <laughs> right beside people. <laughs> They're like, what was that? And then you're falling backwards. <laughs>
0: yeah, it hurt. It hurt quite a bit. So, but I'm, uh, I'm all, you know, I can like do stuff. I can carry stuff and do stuff. I'm ready for hunting. If I roll it in the bush, uh, one of my friends will just have to carry me out. But, you know. It could be better, so maybe I should pop into physio quick. I was just gonna get like a brace to wear in the bush.
1: No, I was to physio. Yeah. You got it's covered; it's not gonna cost you anything. So yeah,
0: I'll pop in this week, maybe check yeah. it out.
1: Check it out.
0: So, what have you been up to? Other than that, have you? I see, so seen a thing about your bragging about your cat
1: walking. Well, yeah, I told you, I, I, I put a video in the chats of Zeus actually running. We jogged down the block sometimes. I've been jogging jogged. with my cat. You've jogging, been jogging man. with we your jogging cat? The,
0: yeah. Can I get a video of that? Could you get Maria to take a video of that?
1: I, I, just sent, I told you, I took a video and sent it in the but chats. But are
0: you in the video?
1: Well, it's of, of Zeus with a harness and I'm just like jogging to, in front of me. I'm not going to take a selfie while I'm jogging. I'd like
0: right? Maria to be like across the street filming this.
1: Let me lose a few pounds first. And then I, can, I won't be able to handle watching my, my well, beefcake beefcakes. that might never happen. The that's true.
0: So this might be the best time. Might, you know?
1: It might be good. It might kick me into gear, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you have a bike? Right. You do have a bike. The well, bike, that's no, when, it's, it's out of commission. It's out of Completely? Commission. My real
1: good bike got stolen um, before I moved here.
0: Sons of bitches. I got my yeah. bike. I can ride that with my ankle. Maybe I should do that more. Figure I'm gonna get on it now so that I don't have as much work to do when I'm your age because I feel like once I'm your age, it's a little harder. I'm still at the age where I could probably book it up. I heard a lot, I've heard a lot of shit about 40 being the age where it's time to start paying attention. Yeah, Yeah. if you're not like paying attention, it's just gonna get harder every year. You know, it's gonna be harder to get it off. So I don't have much of a gut now. I'm in pretty decent shape, I eat pretty good. It's time to just. Tighten that up the rest of the way.
1: Yep, that's good. No, I'm getting the hip love handles and everything, so, I mean, I do have some little love handles. Not hip love handles.
0: Holy fuck, that's, like, next level. That's, like, love handles and your love handles.
1: It's, like, 50. That's what happens when you get to your early 50s and you're not in
0: shape. (laughs) Anyway, what do you got for us?
1: I got a couple quotes, and I got a project operation I want to talk to because this show ends with Matt Lohmeyer talking about chemtrails, and he might be sort of advising a TV series, so we kind of had a little bit of a discussion at the end of this episode about that, and I wanted to just... I sent him some links to Jim Lee's stuff, but I want to go over some of this stuff because I've been on Jim Lee's website recently, and it's pretty fascinating.
0: Is it? We should have Jim Lee on the show.
1: On one of the shows.
0: Maybe, uh, yeah. Anyway, and you met... uh, Of course, you met... I I missed him because I got in late, but you met... You met him down at CAC, of course.
1: Oh, Matt. You, you yeah, met Matt yeah. down at CAC oh, you, at the well, round across You met him,
0: too. You met him, no, too. No, I missed him.
1: Oh, did you really?
0: Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. get in until yeah. Wednesday night, and he left Wednesday afternoon, I think. So, anyway, uh, he was down at our contact at the cabin event down in Montana, Idaho, doing that tour with Randall Carlson, the Snake Bros, all those cool cats. And, of course, we're doing that in September with uh, Ben, Ben from Uncharted X, uh, you know, he's up to a quarter million YouTube subscribers.
1: Wow. That's, yeah, great.
0: that's crazy. Great for him. Anyway, he's going to be there both weeks. I think Russ is going to be there both weeks. Graham will probably be there both weeks. I think.
1: Um. Well, I think so too. But, you know, and uh, must, uh, I'll be there sporadically.
0: I'm hoping my friend will be back with his plane. He's moving back to Alberta. And he was saying that he might do the paperwork so that we could fly down. He said it should only take like two and a half hours. That's oh, like, that's fantastic. And if I do that, then maybe we could take Randall for a little plane ride. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. That would be cool. But something tells me the fuel might be uh, inhibitive. I think we can, you know, the I'd have to play for the fuel. I don't know how much fuel it takes to fly a plane to soap like him back. Maybe not as much as my truck. But anyway, we got this great event going on. Two Scab tours are selling out fucking fast, really fast, especially they're starting to move these last couple weeks. Ben just released a video on them, and the bros are talking about it on their show. So head on over to com, click on the Scab tour, get your deposit in today if that's something you're thinking about doing because I'm telling you it's going to sell out. They're going to sell out. I tell you this all the time. The other Contact the Cabin events you need to be thinking about doing right away is we got the 420 event in Utah next April, that's going to be a big one. And we've also got the one that we've just announced, a collaboration with the Higher Side Chats are coming on board for a contact at the Cabin Shasta event. We might even have more exciting news coming up. But for now, we got Greg Carlwood in the house joining us to help host, you know, uh, Russell will be there from the Brothers of the Serpent and Brandon Powell, Joe Roop, and Owen Hunt, we're there for four days checking it out, and we're going to have a time. We're going to have a few more people there this time, a lot more camping. Four days, the America guys, the THC guys, Greg Carwood. I bet you we'll be smoking some weed. I mean, I'm saying <laughs> it'll probably happen. So head over to cavin.com. That was a lot cheaper than a Randall event. You know, you can get in that one for like a 1000 uh, bucks. That includes everything. You ride from the airport, or if you just show up, that's your food, your sleeping, your whatever. If we go to Shasta, you'll have a ride there and back. All that stuff. We usually even have a bunch of weed flying around. You don't even really have to bring weed. Last time we left, I think there was still like three quarters of a pound left on the table. So com if uh, these events are something you're into. People often say best events they've ever been to got more to do with the other people that come than to do with any of us. So we encourage you, if you're cool, to come. If you're not cool, don't come. com. All right. Wow. Well, give us your Oppo. I'll give you the jingle. Let me pull up my jingle okay, okay, player okay, here. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> is that like Joe Pesci? Is that a Joe Pesci of good Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, oh, what's that noise?
1: It looks military to me. Definitely military.
2: Probably classified too. Dish Fire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannequin, Artichoke, MKUltra, Operation Project.
1: So we've talked about weather modification and geoengineering a lot on the show. We've had the 78 sen- Senate report. We went through that years and years ago. Sure. Hey. The, and then there's okay. a bunch of... It. Okay, 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 okay.
2: Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, right. okay. All right, everybody gets it,
1: everybody gets it. Uh, thanks. Um, you know, we go. We went through the list of all the patents uh, for for modifying the weather and plane attachments and all that stuff. Um, we had Jim Lee on and stuff, uh, other other guests talking about chemtrails and all that. But we uh, and there's a whole bunch of official government programs like large area coverage and Popeye and Dew and uh, all, all kinds of of ones where they've actually officially practiced spraying stuff in the air. So jim lee's website is fantastic now he's got a timeline on there um you go to weathermodificationhistory.com. there's uh view the control of na- nature and weather history on our on our interactive timeline and he's great with websites who's so got this so when you view the timeline it gives you an option of uh kind of clicking on geoengineering um weather modification or uh, space weather modification actually because they've done experiments of modifying the upper atmosphere i guess which would be considered space the ionosphere the mesosphere um so this this one i clicked on was um geoengineering and it's got starting back from 1991 stratospheric wells box seeding for reduction of global warming so this is this is like, this is like cloud seeding to reduce global warming in 1991 um i'm just going to read the bolded The bolded part here. One exemplary technique may be via the jet fuel, as suggested by prior work regarding the metallic particles. And then in 1998, there's the first direct sulfuric acid detection in the exhaust plume of a jet aircraft in flight. So that was injected directly into the exhaust jet in the case when sulfur was provided to the engine with the fuel. And then we have 2002, influence of fuel sulfur on the composition of aircraft exhaust plumes. Uh, experiments sulfur one seven uh contrail formation properties of aircraft exhaust fumes for different fuel sulfur content um so that's a series of experiments there abbreviated s1 to s7 and that's from like the that's still in the 90s really um 2006 there was an albedo enhancement by stratospheric sulfur injections a contribution to resolve a policy dilemma um Oh, man, I, this goes, This is so fascinating. And then 2008, there's weather and climate engineering. There's a video presentation here of the use of a commuter craft with their jet fuels, doped with aerosol generators, uh, 3.4, seeding cirrus clouds or making more contrails. And it gets into a whole bunch of details here. It performs wide area seating with soot or carbonaceous aerosols, which would absorb solar radiation. And warm cirrus layers, enough to perhaps dissipate cirrus clouds. And then 2009, modification of cirrus clouds to reduce global warming. I'm going to have to skip through. This is quite long, so I'm going to skip through some of it. 2009, again, benefits, risks, and costs of stratospheric geoengineering. 2010, efficient formation of stratospheric aerosol for climate engineering by emission of condensable vapor from aircraft aircraft. 2013, stratospheric passenger flights are likely inefficient geoengineering strategy. 2014, this is the one I wanted Matt to kind of wonder about. There's JP8 jet fuel doped with sulfur. So there's an alternative fuel effects on contrails and cruise emissions. Um, 2015, Academy of Finland. Their cool project is another technique examined was the use of commercial passenger aircraft flying at high altitudes to inject sulfate aerosols emitted by aviation fuel into the stratosphere. So, I don't know. I mean, wouldn't that technically be a chemtrail? Persistent contrail? But they're injecting chemicals into the, I mean, to inject sulfate aerosols emitted by aviation fuel i mean that's pretty much the definition right commercial aircraft could be used to deliver sulfate into atmosphere stratosphere sorry so here's how the two fuel generation. so, so i mean this is just a uh, so much information to talk about soot and black carbon yeah i won't uh i won't say much more because it goes into uh all kinds of black carbon particles from aviations. So, yeah, that's just a little taste of uh, all the stuff that's been happening as far as geoengineering is concerned.
0: That's how they get you. Hey, if you guys are uh, happy with our, our, our little taste of our stuff over here, 557 episodes, taste. I think this is 558, maybe even. Episode 558 coming at you all there, all for free in that back catalog Don't charge you for none of it, but if you're getting some value from it, maybe what do you figure? A thousand hours? Got to be a thousand hours of content there. If you're getting some value from that content, head over to grindamerica.ca/slash/support today. Sign up for a monthly or make a Mm one-time donation. Really, you'd think this far in, you know, we'd be in cruise control, but we're not. It's more important than ever to go and support. That's things people take as they start taking for granted after. This long, assume everything's all good, but we need some support. People have been dropping off, whether it's PayPal cancellations. If you think you're supporting, go double check over to GreatAmerica.ca/slash or check your PayPal. However you do that, I'm not
1: sure. Yeah, we can take one time donations too, and uh, and cash in books and stuff.
0: Totally. Um, we just got a check in the mail from somebody and uh, sweet it was made out to you, so I just put it in the account. But it seems to be no problem. Um. So yeah, that was two hundred twelve bucks. Shit, uh, there's a note. I'll read the note next week because I left it in the truck. But uh, shout out to, shit, I forget his name even. Do you remember? Chester. It was Chester.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Chester.
0: Thanks, Chester. I knew a guy named Chester in high school. We weren't very nice to him, though. He was probably not as cool as this Chester. Anyway, growamerica.ca slash support. Sign up today.
1: I just want to expand a little bit here on this website because uh, it does go back. When you, you go back on, into the Operation y- Project, y- I am because okay. he's got because it's fucking mind-boggling. 1841. <laughs> it goes 1841. It, it goes in time like it shows all these articles and all this stuff. And this is the problem with science, right? In 1841, the Storm King James Pollard Espy, suggested on burning the forests. In the West Coast to create rain in the East Coast. And then in 1887 even, reroute warm ocean currents to melt the polar ice caps. You know, this is is why it's so frustrating nowadays to hear all this fucking scientism, right? Fire a cannon to tilt the Earth's axis, melt the poles, 1889. It goes into... An ode to pluviculture, 1891. Effects of rainmaking in 1891. The Ohio rain wizard, 1891 to 93. The rainmaking gun in 1902. The end of iceberg menace in 1912. And nowadays it's the exact opposite, right? All the fear-mongering in science right now. A hundred, more than a hundred years later, Make Nuke the Arctic to melt the poles, 1945. I mean... Charles Malloy Hatfield. The moisture accelerator makes rain for L.A. Floods San Diego. Okay, uh, I've had enough. I'm sorry, I've, I've had enough. It's just it's really cool. <laughs> it's the profound of the week.
2: Of the week can you guess the human who spoke it or wrote it down profound quote of
1: the week oh man all right so here's one for you Let's see if you can guess this in our age there's no such thing as keeping out of politics all issues are political issues. And pol- politics itself is a mass of lies, evasions, folly, hatred, and schizophrenia.
0: Dave McGowan.
1: <laughs> George Orwell. Damn it. Okay, I got more of a, um, a black-pilled one here. You ready? Dave McGowan. No. <laughs> Uh, To effectively brainwash and mind control a population, you first need fear. We then need a ritual or ceremony which relieves the fear. That ritual must be simple so anyone can do it. You must make average people feel like heroes for doing exactly as they're told. The tyrant is best served by being in full control of the fear, plus manufacturing the ritual that removes the fear. That pre-manufactured ritual will, in turn, trick the public into participating in their own enslavement, and brings them willingly into the iron grip of the tyrant. What a fantastic quote! Uh,
0: I don't know, Jason Kristoff. Jason Kristoff? Is he a Nazi? Yeah. No, I better not said that. Probably not. He probably wasn't. <laughs> no, but I'm, reading, but
1: I'm reading. I'm reading a book right now called. Uh, uh how to what is it the healing of the nations and they're talking about world war one they're and they have a a chapter that's the case for germany and the case against germany and world war one and dude they're talking about stuff like the population was they were out of politics right they'd become a super commercialized area in germany and the the population just didn't get involved anymore and that they were able to sway the population into these wars because nobody was fucking paying attention Really interesting, contextually of what's happening today.
0: Dun dun, dun. Is that one almost done?
1: Uh, it'll be done soon. Yeah,
0: please. Jurassic? Yeah. Did you finish any more recently? Just the Atlantis <laughs> one? Or uh, Practical occultism was the last one.
1: Uh, Atlantis and a practical occultism. Yeah.
0: There you have it. Head over to Adam Yeah, if you want to see all those books. All right, Matt Lomar.
1: Oh, yeah, right. I got I got a little bio for him from him here. So he's the author of this bestselling book, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. Um, that was published in May 2021, at which time Matt was a respected active duty commander in the newly formed U.S. Space Force. For publishing and speaking about this book, then Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer was relieved of his command and subjected to an inspector general investigation launched from the pentagon so he subsequently joined the media's biggest media personalities to discuss the proliferation of marxist rooted critical race theory in the military and its divisive impact on the force and the mission he separated from active duty on september 1st 2021 now a highly sought public speaker and private consultant on matters of marxist ideology and tactics crt the betterment of military culture and the preservation of our liberties and he's also, uh, in 2006, this is why we talked about that Top Gun stuff, too, because I, I forgot he was an actual uh, pilot, too. 2006 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. He began his active duty military career as a pilot, flying over 1,200 hours in the T-38 as an inspector pilot, followed by a flying F-15C. And after that, he cross-trained into space operations and gained expertise in space-based missile warnings. Um, He promoted two years below the zone to Lieutenant Colonel, graduated the top of his class, earning the Distinguished Graduate DG Award at four different Air Force schools, and served as aide-de-camp for a four-star general for one year. And in 2020, he transferred into the space... and was placed in command of space-based missile warning squadron in colorado he's got two master's degrees a master's in military operational art and science and a master's of philosophy and military strategy from the school of advanced air and space studies
0: there you have it it's a great chat and hey matt might even pop in and visit us when we're down on the scab line so another reason to head over to contact at the cabin.com check that out All right, guys. That's it for our lazy ramblings this week. Enjoy the chat with Matt Lomire.
1: Omeyer, welcome to Gray America. Thanks for joining us.
2: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Graham.
1: Yeah, it was great to uh, meet you at you know at a Randall event there in, in Montana, but we didn't really get a chance to talk much because you know it's it's just a bu- it's a busy event. But uh, man, I remember I remember you you perking my interest uh, on some questions, you know, on on what's going on in the world and freedom. So I'm yeah. glad we got a chance to kind of hash it out now on the show. And since then, I, I read your book, you know, the book oh, the Good. guy you kicked out of the space force, and I you know yeah. I really I really enjoyed it. I loved how you went into a lot of historic references i mean you mentioned some authors that we've actually done audiobooks on yeah nesta, oh, we- nesta webster and uh robeson uh-huh. we've, we've, we've got some of their audiobooks out there so it was cool to listen to your book and hear uh hear you talk about some of those older sort of books on secret societies
2: Fantastic. yeah that was a small part of my book in fact um i end up traveling around the country quite a bit and Uh, I I speak at various conventions that invite me to speak. And um, when I'm in airports or on planes and people ask, are you traveling for fun or for work? I say, I'm traveling for work. And they'll say, are you, uh, what are you doing? I say, I'm speaking. Oh, are you a motivational speaker? (laughs) And I say, actually, I'm kind of a demotivational speaker, in fact. And, you know, they always turn their face sour and wonder what I'm talking about. Most most of the time, that's where the conversation ends. But in a very real sense, as much good information as in a book like mine, uh, there's some ugly, sour aspects to that as well that um, were important to uncover. So uh, I actually spend a great deal more of my time thinking and talking about other fun and exciting and um, uh, things that aren't such a downer. But, uh, yeah, my book's kind of a downer with some good info. Well, yeah,
1: but you gotta, I mean, it's just important to know that stuff, I think, to realize where, where things are at and where, and the potential to where they can go too. you know, if if we're not careful. I mean, that's kind of my biggest, like we could start off with the real big questions, but I guess, you know, I, I I would think, you know, you and a lot of us in this podcast community, we sort of advocate sort of a basic sort of freedom, a freedom of, you know, to let people be who they want to be, to be, you know, free of ourselves, that sort of those core tenets of, you mentioned the constitution lots in your in your book. And, and I feel like the big question is like, are we at an inherent disadvantage in what's happening in the world right now? Because we want to be left alone and we would rather leave other people alone. Whereas the other side, let's say just the authoritarian that right. seems to be creeping through our our culture right now, and whether that's Marxist or or COVID related or whatever, they they just want to lie, cheat, and steal, and, and control things. So are we are we at a disadvantage, and how do we deal with that?
2: You know, we could actually do a whole show on um, that uh, broad question you've just asked. You know, one of the challenges uh, is that people tend to talk past one another today, regardless of their political view, their cultural. Uh, uh, whatever sociocultural backdrop they hail from, uh, people use words like freedom or liberty or equality, and they're using them from, from basically every vantage from various camps, but they might mean something slightly different by those terms. Uh, of course, everyone thinks they want freedom. Of course, everyone thinks they like the idea of liberty, but, uh, you know, some people actually do appreciate, the Let me put it this way. The the idea that it's important to protect the right to speak and think freely. Uh, and yet there are others who think they value liberty and freedom. And yet they're really not excited about the idea that people can think what they want to and say what they want to. And they start to label other people based on the things that they think or say. Uh, and there's no end to that, really. It starts to turn into a control It generates a climate of fear. That's something our, unfortunately, our military service members have experienced a lot in the last couple of years. Um, you know, they already give up a certain degree of um, freedom or liberty when they, they sign up to put their neck on the line to, to wear the uniform of their country. Uh, there's certain things you just can no longer say anymore for example you can't criticize the sitting commander-in-chief if you're in the military you can't criticize unless it was Trump of course then people get away with it uh, and they shouldn't have I mean it doesn't matter to the politics the the uh, political party you're not supposed to criticize um, your chain of command uh, and and so it, it's really interesting. Um, they're losing more of that freedom to speak freely. And uh, now as we talk about implicit bias and unconscious bias and these kinds of things, they're really, really ideologically rooted ideas or terms. Now we're insisting that whether you think so or not, we know what's going on inside of your mind. We know what you're thinking, and we're going to judge you for the things that we know you're thinking. Uh, and that starts to become insane pretty quickly. And uh, so we can. Pretend that we like liberty and freedom all we want, but when we're starting to pretend to judge others based on their implicit biases or unconscious biases based on their race or their uh, sexual orientation or their uh, economic class stratification and so forth, uh, we're on a dangerous path. And I write about some of that in my book as well.
1: So, are you? Go ahead, Darren.
0: Yeah, it seems almost like we're headed into the same cultural revolution that China found itself in not too long ago. But, maybe, in the right. you know, the early stages of that, so I mean, obviously, you made it into the space force, which couldn't have been easy to do. You must' have made your way through the Air Force quite well to get to that mm-hmm. position, so how has it changed? I mean, how long were you in for, and how 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 has it changed since you since you know obviously from the time you were in to the time yeah. you left, and you know, when did you first start to notice a problem?
2: yeah you know uh, i'll i'll characterize it this way because it sounds more dramatic. I entered the Air Force Academy in two thousand it's now twenty twenty two I spent my whole adult life some in some way shape or form in the military uh, now I commissioned became active duty in the Air Force of course there was no space force when I commissioned and graduated from the Air Force Academy. Uh, and I went off to fly jets. I uh, I flew T 38s for the Air Force. I flew F fifteen Cs. That's a single seat air air fighter. By the way, if you haven't seen Top Gun, that's a Navy movie, but it's exciting and fun, and it's better than the first one. I'd uh, put in a pitch there. It's it's an exciting uh, palm sweating experience for a fighter pilot like me. Uh, but I, I flew jets for the Air Force and did did well. Um, and and I ended up uh, finding myself in the Air Force space community. Uh, and, you know, all of the things that we're doing in the Space Force today, they've existed for a number of years, by and large, uh, except for the UFOs and those things, if we end up getting there. But by and large, they've existed in the the Air Force and the Department of the Air Force for a number of years, as early back as uh, even the Cold War in the 70s, 80s. A lot of the space capabilities we were developing for the Air Force uh, have their roots in the Cold War. And so when we stood up a Space Force, because I had been in the Air Force space community, uh, I was kind of a shoe in to the new service, although there's not many members, you know, we're talking a few thousand people that have now transferred into that that new branch of the military, but I transferred in as a major, uh, and uh, shortly, uh, actually I transferred in as Lieutenant Colonel, I just pinned on Lieutenant Colonel, Um, and so i was uh, at the stage in my career where i could go become a commander of a space force unit and i was in command of a space-based space-based not as opposed to a ground-based a space-based missile warning unit we use infrared sensors up in geosynchronous orbit and we detect heat signatures all over the globe and uh, report uh, missile launches to uh, both our own troops downrange as well as our allies overseas uh, it's, a, it's a mission that's absolutely critical for our national security and the security of our allies. Uh, and so I was in command of that unit when um, I really began to notice uh, the problems that we're having with the politicization of our military. And this gets right to your question. Uh, the Air Force and the DOD writ large that uh, our service members are experiencing today is a night and day difference from the military that I came to know my entire adult life. I mean it's it is really uh grossly different. Uh and there's so many good things that our military is still doing. We've got great people, young men and women who who love their country. Uh they genuinely do value freedom and liberty. They're patriots, uh so to speak. Uh and uh there's a lot of those good people in our military and they deserve our thanks. But we've got we've got senior leaders. Uh, Who and unfortunately some small minority of our service members who have become like political parrots. And everything that you see kind of that is polarizing the nation on either side of the aisle, they're they're polarizing our military forces by injecting politics. Unfortunately, what I wrote about in my book was a race identity politics uh, that's been injected into our military. And it's like the kind of thing that makes your military man or woman scratch their head. Because the whole time they've been in uniform, they've kind of thought like, you know, I didn't really pay attention if you were black or white or Native American or Asian. It just didn't matter because everyone wore the same uniform, everyone swore the same oath, everyone thought they loved their country, and that stuff's kind of all that bullshit's checked at the door for the service member. The race—that's just that—belongs in university campuses, you know, and the social justice scene. Our military people are serious about their mission, and uh, now there's a distraction, and I noticed that while I was in command of space space force unit
1: and there's a reason why that you know the military is like that and and other organizations like whether it's the justice department or whatever that should be nonpartisan, right i mean how i mean you you could you shouldn't let religion and politics and all kinds of stuff get in the way of all that right you should be able to just have whatever view you want but not let it kind of get in there
2: uh yeah so you know there's that old idea that there's two things you shouldn't talk about at the dinner table because yeah. they'll make people pissed off and it's religion and politics. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Those are emotional topics, especially for people who have some who have invested some some kind of energy into understanding that arena. They get very wrapped up I mean, I mean politics itself these days is almost like a pseudo religion. Uh, and um, so those things are best left. um back at home on the home front for our service members Uh, you talk about it with your buddies sure i mean that's always been the case but when um, you're now being asked in policy memorandums by those who lead the services to quote unquote take a down day or take a knee from your operational training mission to discuss white supremacy white nationalism uh, race identity politics uh, global climate change and um, you know everyone just kind of thinks so this isn't what i signed up for that's why the army's struggling to meet its uh, recruiting goals this year air force i think for the first time since the 1990s is struggling to meet its recruiting goals and we've got a good number of people that are uh, getting out of the military at a, an alarming rate uh, to say nothing of the covid mandate that uh you know there's wh- whatever your view or your listeners view is on a, a covid shot mandate for example and i won't even touch that unless you guys want to go there whatever oh, you the can, view you can is if you want yeah yeah so whatever your view is and i i really don't care what the view is th- what's important to understand is that two to three percent of the armed forces refuse to take that shot now when, what that translates into as far as military readiness is absolutely alarming we've got We've already got a combat aviator shortage in our military, okay? You need to understand it's been around for years now. For the last several years, it's really peaked. Right now, there are 700 combat aviators on the chopping block with an average of 14 years of experience. 20% of them are tied to our nuclear enterprise. 70% of them almost are instructor pilots. And they're on the chopping block because of this policy. Uh, These are relatively young, resilient, healthy people. Many of them have had covid at least once (laughs) and so we're willing to to push them out uh sever them or lose their pension like i did when i wrote the book uh and you don't replace talent and experience overnight it it takes five ten years in some cases to start to develop the talent uh necessary to execute or prosecute certain missions that we do so that's that's one thing that's just the pilots now there's hundreds of other uh job specialties we've got uh, 136,000, I think was the last number I heard 136,000 of our service members are about to lose their job and find their, find their way out into the civilian world because of a policy. Um, now, so again, the point is whatever your view, there is a, there's an ongoing political division that's taking place and a politicization of our armed forces that, um, is really disincentivizing people from military service. And I meet parents too at these Conventions I speak at around the country, they're concerned about what they've been reading in the news, seeing on the news. And so, you know, they've got young teenagers who they thought that they'd, they'd send them off to service academies or that they'd enlist after high school. And they're deciding that that's not something they're interested in anymore. Uh, yep. So, big problem that we're facing.
0: We got some Navy guys in the audience that have just mm. kind of, they're up against it right now. I mean, I don't even, I haven't talked to Steve. To see where he was at last, it seems like every time he thinks he's going to get a resolution, they just keep kind of kicking it down the field, and and, uh, I don't know where he was at last, but I know he's been like several times now he's thought he was done, and uh, it's got delayed or this or that or the other. I think the last I heard he was still He's only got, I think the dude's got like seven months left or nine months Mm -hmm. left until he's retired with his pension and he's dealing with this COVID thing. And I can't help but admire his resistance because he's leaving all that on the table and he's like, fuck you, it's not happening. (laughs) Which is, you know, know, where Graham and I ended up as well. So,
2: Well, that's where I've ended up. Fortunately, I didn't have to, you know, so to speak, die on that hill in the military. Uh, But it's kind of all turning into the same hill, uh, a big hill of shit for everyone that they have to die on whether whatever their issue is whether it's race identity politics covid shot mandates or just the fact that they're tired of uh, seeing trans celebration and uh, lgbtq parties and i mean like there's pictures celebrating again i don't care where people stand on these issues really i've been trained my whole life uh, to be relatively apolitical although i'm conservative i don't care if someone's not i, I just don't and and yet you know, instead of running with the American flag in formation, uh, this last month, our service members, our Air Force, there's pictures that they uh, spread around social media. They're marching and jogging with the, the Pride flag, and like and doing op, you know photo shoots and things because, uh, after all, you have to celebrate. And if you're in the service, you have to celebrate this, uh, or else uh, you you're, have no to signal you're, you're
1: celebrating too.
2: You have to signal that you're ce- celebrating. So. Again, that's a kind of pressure that um, wherever it might exist in society, it's a really unhealthy thing for that pressure to exist in the armed forces. Uh, People traditionally have prided themselves in being tough. They've prided themselves in being lethal. They've um, even gone so far as to use language to characterize the jobs and missions that they do that would be rather off-putting to maybe the broader American society because they're just tough, you know, they're hard as nails, uh, they take pride in breaking things and killing people, kind of rhetoric.
0: What you need, and you need, which you like, need in your people can't forget force, that right? we need that. We're not talking about like your plumber or right. your kid's school <laughs> teacher here. We're talking about the people that you expect to defend your freedom.
2: That's right. Yeah. You. So whatever their beliefs are, you know, we've gone too far in, in saying, well, we have to get your beliefs in check, and we have to get your thinking in order. Uh, you know. I would have said a year ago, okay, I could see some of that, but I'm getting away from that a bit. Like, we need to leave people's beliefs alone. Uh, people should be allowed to think and believe actually really stupid things uh, as long as they're manifesting a respectful behavior towards one another in the workplace and keeping some social norms in place. Then uh, when, you, when you cross lines behaviorally, then maybe there needs to be some accountability if you're disrespecting others or taking away their rights. But as far as beliefs, I mean, People should be free to explore uh, the heights and depths of absurdity, as far as I'm concerned, and then hopefully, with the proper teaching and persuasion, they can come to a proper view of something. Uh, But when you start to enforce a way of thinking, uh, then you know that that's a and then and then also police what they're saying. That's a great way. uh, You're eliminating an outlet for humanity that they actually happen to have that prevents violence and it's thinking freely and speaking what you want, even if it's deemed sometimes hateful, at least you're venting off your steam and you're, uh, you're, you're resolving some conflicts sometimes by allowing people to say stupid things. When you take that away from people um, you've taken away an outlet that uh, was intended. That's why it's in the first amendment. I mean, it's, it's intended to remain in place and be protected uh, as a means of conflict resolution and the prevention of violence. Uh, when in places where that goes away, it really pisses people off and it, you know, it smacks in the face, it flies in the face of human nature. We need some way to resolve our conflicts. So I guess enough said about that, but we're in a bad place. Right now, as far as I'm concerned, and I hear about it all the time from our military service members.
1: Yeah, and it, and it comes from high up, right? This isn't a ground level kind of cultural no, no, infusion. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to take over the world and create a new world order and you'd want to infiltrate the military of the of the of the largest military on the world, I mean, it seems to be coming from on high, right? Like you reached pretty high up right. to try and
2: well See this, right? yeah it's coming from our senior leaders uh they're either directly intentionally pushing the policy or they're complicit because they're afraid to speak up against it and so they you know they too just want to make it to the finish line and get a pension and so the biden administration is pushing policy that's divisive um i can say it now i'm not a service member so i can say what i'd like um the dod that the senior civilian appointee in charge of the dod secretary of defense lloyd austin of course is also pushing that policy and in a sense it's like secretary of defense chairman of the joint chiefs the service chiefs who sit on the joint chiefs i mean you could you could make the argument in one sense they don't have a choice if it's the current administration's policy to do certain things like push the diversity equity and inclusion agenda well they have to comply uh that that's true in one sense but in another sense um you know, they they could actually provide some feedback and just have a conversation say, this is dividing the force. We're going to stop it. We're going to call knock it off. Uh, they don't do that. They simply are acting as a as instruments of implementation of the Biden administration's policies. And we haven't really got into those, but there's a lot there. Uh, I don't know that we need to unpack it here. We probably got, again, see, I told you I'm a demotivational speaker. Uh, <laughs> well, this is, but, well, no, but, but, but yeah, it's it's Secretary of Defense. It's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. It's... um. It's uh, both officer and senior enlisted uh, leaders of all the branches of the military. And then, of course, you've got a small minority of the younger service members who parrot what they're hearing from our senior military leaders. So George Floyd's death, for example, the uh, chief of staff of the Air Force, the senior enlisted leader of the Air Force, now the current chief of staff of the Air Force, a new guy, They all, and, and two of the three of whom were, were black uh, airmen, took to official social media platforms and to uh, and made a public affairs produced video to say i am george floyd uh, and i'm black first i'm a service member second instantly you've injected race identity politics into the military and it pissed a lot of people off and they lost the respect of the service members and and i don't think that you know it's not because the service members uh necessarily care what their views are on some of these things they're entitled to think and believe that stuff but now you've taken to the official airwaves so to speak and you've started to assert a particular view of how things ought to be believed said done viewed and now you're going to start mandating trainings where we have conversations about how we are wrong about so many things. And you're going to instruct us on the proper way to see the world, if, if that and, makes sense.
1: Yeah. And, and how there's also a, there's a direct political politicization direct right. from BLM funding. Like I went to try and donate to that to see where it would take me. And it took me to act blue.
2: That's right.
1: And, and I mean, so you can tell people this and, and, and the people that
0: you donated to BLM. No. <laughs>
2: Figures, Graham. Yeah, I knew it. alt left Graham. The,
1: it was part of the, uh, yeah, it was part of the <laughs> the research I'm doing for the show. But then, I mean, it wasn't. It was at that time where shortly after that they took, they changed the actual website and everything right. how it they looked. Did. I saw it change, in the next couple of days I went back and they had changed the whole the whole website and how it looked. But if you tell, if you talk to people about this, they're like, "Oh, well, that's good. That's good. It's going to the, you know, a good call." I mean, they just don't even get that it's it's been literally politicized and you can't even use that in defense of, of this happening in the, mil- in the military. So it's just, it's like, where can you use it? If you can't use it there, the, the one place where it really shouldn't be, you know?
2: Well, you mentioned it earlier. It reminds you of Mao's cultural revolution in the 1960s in China. I mean, th- this is, there was a guy that wrote a book. I quote him in my book. His name is Fan Shen. Fan Shen is a uh, chinese-american he's a professor at maybe a small technical institute in minnesota and some at some point like almost two decades ago i want to say it was 2004 but it might have been 14 either way the book is phenomenal and it was written before all of this activism really began to spring up in our own country and he wrote a book called gang of one and in Gang of One, he describes what it was like to be a young boy living in the 1960s in Mao's Cultural Revolution. And and I mean nearly everything he says in that book. It was like if you're reading it in 2020 or 2021 in the United States, you'd think that he had simply watched the news every night, crafted a quick book and published it and pretended like that's exactly what happened in Mao's Cultural Revolution. I mean, the everything from forcing people to kneel and apologize for the privilege, raising of fists and, and shouting certain slogans, the banners, uh, the, the the disrespect of the military and the police. I mean, everything that was happening in our country is textbook Marxist revolutionary tactics and and impulse. And um, that's that's why I was alarmed by what I was seeing and thought, you know, I need to use my chain of command. I filed formal complaint about some of the activism I was seeing at my own base. Uh, but it fell on deaf ears because people were afraid to start to talk about that it we we generated a climate of fear and um and I recognize that's a dangerous place to be i mean if you study marxist revolutions i mean this happens every single time people are afraid to speak up then they recognize they spoke up too late and the machine's too powerful it's moving yeah, too quickly and yeah. there's nothing you can do to stop it and yeah. so i wrote a book i mean that's yeah
1: what do you, do you have any advice for people in corporations? You've been through this in the military. Like do you? Mm-hmm. if people are in small corporations, even large corporations, whatever, they're seeing this sort of permeate through their HR departments. They're seeing that, you know, the HR departments start to, to signal whether they, you know, whether it's, it's virtue signaling or not, or they just really sort of believe in this type of stuff, whether it's Roe versus weight or whatever kind of you know, politization there is, like, do you have any advice for people on how to sort of shut that down in a proactive way in a corporation or?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, something that might be really helpful to you if you find yourself in a difficult position because you're in a small business or even a large corporation, powerful, full of money. Uh, I've got a show, the Matt Lohmeyer show, and I'd recommend, and um, this is a perfect segue to put a shameful plug in for my own show, but if you go to YouTube and type in the, uh, Matt Lohmeyer, uh, you'll see the Matt Lohmeyer show show up. And tomorrow morning, I've got an episode coming out with a guy named Kenny Shu. He's Chinese. Uh, we spend 40 minutes talking about his organization called Color Us United. And he talks about some of the strategies or techniques that they've used at Color Us United to work with people and small businesses and corporations to fight wokeness. Uh, be, that right now they're taking on American Express, for example. And they've got a bunch of employees coming from American Express complaining about um, race racial uh, discrimination that's taking place within the, the companies. It's based on some of the trainings that they're experiencing. And he talks about uh, exactly kind of how to approach that, uh, where you can reach out for help to start to file complaints and get people involved. And he shares stories about how they successfully tackled some of this uh politicization of the workplace in salvation army of all places i mean it's a christian organization uh but you know and they and they they, these people sacrifice their time and energy to go into the inner city in some cases and help blacks and latinos and others uh as a part of the salvation army mission and yet trainings came down from the diversity and inclusion gods uh, saying that you had to train your white employees that they were part of an oppressor class that was a part of systemically racist American society uh, and that they needed to repent for their racism and these people are like I'm anything but racist I've like given my life to an organization trying to help people of every race so color us United and Kenny Shu talk about some of the fights that they've been engaged in I think it would be really helpful for uh, for, for you know you're just any worker uh, to really hear what it is that he says they're working on. And then next Monday, I think it's going to be, uh, I have a two hour interview with James Lindsay. The guy is a, he's a, like a freaking walking encyclopedia. He's written maybe nine books. He's a Marxism expert. And he, he has a website called new discourses. He's got like hundreds of hours of content on there about, yeah, he's and Marx, and he, he's, he's remarkable. And he's, so we, we talked for two hours about this topic as well. And that's why I thought, you know, your question, I need to put a plug in for my show and say people ought to go listen to Kenny Shu and James Lindsay talk about how do you recognize it? What are some of the key words? Uh, some of it's blatant. And so, you know, some people are already struggling with it and uh, what to do if you're confronted with this, but, you know, don't go silent to your death.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. I I'd mean, that's love the, to have him
2: yeah, on. We'll, you should get him
0: on, yeah.
1: Graham. Yeah, we'll put a link to, to that in the show notes too yeah, for yeah. all that. Yeah. So I, I do want to ask you, sort of, a well, circle.
0: Can I follow up first because I mean that all begs a question: of Do you think that it's just from within, or do you think it's an attack on America?
2: Both. There's so probably we are at the okay. Here's, here's what I want to say about that. It's an excellent question. Um, you know, American people would be really surprised to find out just how much, uh, China is in our social media platforms and influencing perception thought, um, with bots. And, um, uh, you know, I was just, I'm doing this fun thing right now. I've, I pulled, I brought my, an, an extra laptop to work and, um, I've got some of my books in, this office and i've got hundreds and hundreds more at home and i i thought you know it's far too long uh i haven't cataloged all of my library and so i'm like typing in every book and i spent a couple of hours today typing in books and i just came across a few books about that question there's one called like war like war like you know like on facebook or twitter um, and it's about the weaponization of social media. And, uh, there's another one called dark territory. That's about, uh, you know, the true secret beginnings of, um, cyber warfare. Uh, there's another one I came across called unrestricted warfare from 1999, two Chinese colonels, uh, wrote about how they were going to, you know, how China was interested in dropping all pretense to a fair or just, you know, warfare. And it would use any means possible to infiltrate the capitalist West, specifically American system. And, Bring down all of its uh, cultural and religious and and other barriers, um, and an attack on all fronts. And so, to your question, you know, is this coming from without or within? Uh, it's definitely coming from both. Uh, but China has its fingers in 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 just about every uh, everything you and I touch on a day to day basis, from the things you're seeing on your phone to uh, Hollywood and uh, the entertainment industry uh, to mainstream politicians. Media. It would they, seem. They, The politicians, uh, including the people who run this country, Uh, we've seen some of that in some videos that, uh, you know, children shouldn't be watching that have come from uh, Hunter Biden. But the, the bottom line is there's a lot of that influencing going on from outside of the country. The unfortunate part is we're at a place as a society today where we're incredibly susceptible To that that messaging. Uh, And there was a time just decades ago, probably pre-1960s especially, but where where we were rather resilient as a as a nation to that kind of influencing because we were kind of rooted, deep-seated in American values, Judeo-Christian principles, whether you were Jewish or Christian or not, like we all believed in the fundamental goodness of the American ideal. We uh, we come out of the Second World War fighting totalitarianism and Nazi fascism. Nazi. I was just looking at Mein Kampf earlier today. He doesn't call it fascism. He calls it national socialism. By the way, and that's an important point in Mein Kampf: national socialism and uh, and communism. These totalitarian, uh, authoritarian regimes, America was a good guy on the world stage with allies fighting the bad guy, you know. And that was kind of the perception. And the American people, to some degree or another, largely speaking, bought into that, even though you had some in academia that didn't. And we're getting away from that broadly as a society. And that leaves a kind of vacuum, so to speak, in the spiritual life of the American citizen in which it becomes particularly vulnerable to ideology and in this case it'll be communist Marxist ideology that says your society is evil it's rooted in it's a systemically racist society you've never escaped it uh, and you need to repent for that and they extract these false confessions uh, from the American citizen essentially and unfortunately we're doing that to ourselves now and so even if it was only an external threat that would be dangerous enough but now we're perpetuating that from within our own society uh, and we're Kind of, I heard it put this way, and James Lindsay mentions it on the on the podcast interview I did with him. We're bombing the foundations now, and it's only a matter of time. Once you begin bombing the foundations, yeah. society crumbles, right? Yeah, and we're, and that, we're watching that.
1: And it's not just you guys; it's Western society too. I mean, it's part of uh, part of it us is. in Canada taking the brunt, and some of Europe. I mean, you know, there's a lot of revolutions but that kind of segues anyways into my sort of final question before we get into the, some more the more strange stuff but because yeah. you do you do mention this and this is kind of what we talked about uh on our trip too and you mentioned i think you mentioned in your book about revolution becoming totalitarian in itself so i mean we go i think we need to be we're in a tricky spot right now because we could say we're in a war we're in world war three or four whatever you want i mean they're they're just they're trying to force more mandates down us in canada again i mean we're We're at the point now where what do we do to defend ourselves? I mean, they're literally they are like fucking killing people. I mean, it's it's getting it's very strange. So how do we how do we even fight in this war? That's it's an information war. It's like what you just said from China and Marx and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. But, you know, how do we do it without becoming the enemy without becoming to we're You know, we're in generally we're honest kind of. Yep, you know, hardworking people fighting against a, a completely crooked regime that uh, will do anything to to take and over. And that's a great
0: so. point. Like because I was going to say, well, how the, the the answer to that is maybe like just fucking locking down all the social media and stuff like that. But then that's you know, hard. people are going to freak hard. out and say, well, what the fuck? You know, we're China mm-hmm. now. We're China. Yeah, that's but exactly I, mean, what I mean, you know, what do you maybe you have to be? But, China. Well,
2: yeah. So on the one hand, if you if you insist that government ought to step in. And play some role where it's exerting censorship control that's not a good answer right on the other hand you know there are people and i've met some of them unfortunately i mean there are people right now who are so disgusted by what they see um, in every you know in every way shape or form from problems we face with immigration in, in america uh to to the, what appears without cataloging every issue and and i could catalog a lot of issues with what appears to be a general decay and a dissolution of western society generally speaking they're thinking well shoot i don't know if there's any way to save this without violence but here's the problem and i i can appreciate understand that um that sentiment but here's the problem if the aim of the marxist revolutionary and i don't mean the one who unwittingly pursues the Marxist revolution, but like the trained Marxist, the trained organizer who's interested in revolution. The aim of the Marxist revolutionary is violent revolution to overthrow the incumbent structure and, and, and so on and so forth. For people to take up arms is, is to actually further the Marxist revolutionary cause pretty damn quick. I mean, like it, it causes society, the civil society, to clap, collapse into chaos and violence. Uh, And it actually, in my opinion, and I always have to share this everywhere I go, I I in no way advocate for violence. I don't in the end of my book, not just because I was an active duty service member, but because I genuinely believe at this stage in the game for society to collapse into a a violent state of affairs is probably uh, almost certainly to lose everything that we've ever had in the free world in this country. Uh, You're not going to set up something better in the aftermath of a violent a violent civil conflict in the West. Uh, there's there's far too much of just about every influence, every tribe, every religion, every race, every worldview that exists all in the same place. You've got every nation in the world living in America. Do you think you're going to like what? Exert force and control through violence and set up something better that everyone's just going to be happy it's now in place. I and mean, there's no end to that scene. And so uh, now here's here's some good news. I knew we'd get around to something positive, but here's here's some good news uh China russia uh those are the I mean those are the note, noteworthy powers uh the great powers that i should should mention they're not interested in putting boots on the ground in America and invading your country okay uh, there's a couple of really simple reasons for that one, the cost of invasion uh financially. Is, is so utterly high. Uh, the cost and bloodshed and life and capabilities that, to exert f- control on another country. I mean, it's one thing to do it to Taiwan in your backyard, it's another thing to go around the globe and do it in a country like the United States, where every citizen is armed, uh, where you're going to be met with tremendous military might. Uh, so if I was Xi Jinping and I watched what was happening in America right now, I'd be really satisfied that I never had to get engaged in a violent conflict with the United States. I just simply need to stay the course and watch us deteriorate, watch us ruin ourselves economically, watch us ruin ourselves with illegal immigration, watch us ruin ourselves with terrible prices of the gas pump, watch us ruin ourselves uh, with our energy uh, dependency. I mean, there's everything working against us right now. Our crime rates are soaring in big cities. Uh, If I was Xi Jinping, I'd watch all of that gladly and I'd think, huh, I will be the benevolent uh, communist dictator of the emergent global superpower and I'll watch that country fall to ashes and maybe fight with themselves over the next decade. And without having shed a drop of blood, we'll emerge on the world stage as the the beneficent, benevolent world actors and we'll assert our role as the superpower. And uh, you don't have to do anything. Now, Besides the financial cost, uh, it's just impossible to exert control over the United States. It's an armed citizenry. I mean, speak. It, it's not true of Western European countries necessarily, but it is true in this place. I mean, uh, are you both in Canada? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we are. Okay, yep, so now. so I mean, I, I'm talking. So there's a international relations uh, scholar that I really like. He's a Democrat, and I I like him still. Um, because his views on international relations, I think are phenomenal. His name is John Mearsheimer. He's a University of Chicago professor. And uh, he espouses the realist worldview or the realist model of international relations. And he says, and I really like this, the United States has been in such a blessed geostrategic position for its entire history, uh, even up through the ICBM, the intercontinental ballistic missile age, the age of jets, airplanes, and submarines. But he says, you're... You're, you've got such a prime location on the world stage as far as great power competition goes. You've got Canadians to the north, you've got Mexicans to the south, and you've got fish to the east and the west. Yeah, It's like, it doesn't get better than that. You're not in Western Europe, you're not in Eastern Europe. And so the spillover of of international politics like it so often happens into bordering countries can't happen here you have to do it by cyber means nowadays you have to do it through social media you have to do it through intercontinental ballistic missiles or now big bad weapon uh, that's uh, recently gained Supersonic a lot of attention Hi- or hypersonic yeah. yeah hypersonic glide Supersonic. vehicles and um so we're in a great position to remain secure if we choose to yeah, through our policies, through our interactions as the civil society. But we've really got all that stuff working against us right now. And, um, you know, we, we just might do it to ourselves, do ourselves in, so to speak, if we keep up at this rate. That's why I thought it was important to write a book. And, yeah, and warn about and, where we're headed.
1: Yeah, and don't accelerate it through violence. Just we have yeah, we do have the right. means to maybe separate, create some parallel societies and systems within maybe so. Maybe some, some, some stuff that we can sort of keep free and maybe they'll leave those people alone for now, you know. For
0: now. Long enough for for me now. to get out of it. Yeah.
2: So well, I was just yeah. looking at Prepare some stats.
0: The USA has a hundred and twenty guns per one hundred citizens. Wow. And then, yeah, actually, and we, Canadian, we might be all right. We're number seven on that list with 30, 35 guns per 100 citizens. Hey, so, there you a, go. They say there's a gun in every fourth home in Canada. <laughs> so figure out, if you're in Canada and you don't have a gun, just figure out who that is and go ask them to protect you and the shit goes There down. you go.
2: Well, yeah, Or grow up and, and get I, a gun. We used to watch... Uh doomsday preppers for fun you know it's like hey what do you want to watch let's watch something fun let's watch doomsday preppers and you know whether you thought yellowstone was going to blow or a nuke was going to drop on new york city or they all had their reasons right but what they did really well was like think through how to get prepared how are you going to eat how you going to drink well we don't you know buy into some of those theories of how things will come to a conclusion but uh you know i'm getting pretty interested in preparing myself I mean like I don't want my kids to be thirsty. I don't want my kids to be hungry. And if times get tough, we live in a complex system. Modern society is a complex, vulnerable, dependent, utterly dependent, not always redundant, interconnected web of um of uh well, electricity and um and expertise. And, uh, and yeah, I mean it's really something. And if any one of those things breaks... It's broken already, dude. I think it's broken already. Well, I think, you know, in 2020, you saw, like, uh, you know, people were smashing police cars, smashing windows. You turn over one semi-truck on the road and and loot the truck, and 10,000 truckers decide they're not going to drive the next couple months, stay home. I mean, what does that do in Canada? What does that do in the United States to the food supply? Uh, you have bill gates buy up a bunch of farmland you have china buying up a bunch any number of these things and you don't know which one it is and that's the scary part about the complex system it's like uh, the flap of a butterfly's wings is the analogy that i use could start a war in a big city if you, that's how delicate the balance is in a complex system so you need to at least appreciate it now having said all of the ugly stuff you know kind of up front I don't live my life paranoid. I don't live my life in anxiety. I do live a little bit pissed off because of some of what we're seeing, just like so many people do, but I have to think, okay, how is it that I manifest a kind of, how do you find some equilibrium emotionally uh, in your life and like provide a good place for your children to grow up in? How did, how is it that you interact at home and in your social circles so that you're, you're not the freak show Who's always on edge and telling people, you better get your food supply now. Uh, And like, I'm doing that. I'm trying to do it aggressively, but like you want to be, you want to help be a light, so to speak to society and you don't need to continue to help bringing it down. Uh, So we need every bit of some optimism that we can get. And that's a hard balance to strike.
1: Yeah, I'm dude, having the time it comes of my up life. On show all the time. That's the main, you know, the main theme. How do we, how do we find that positivity and that manifestation, and you know, without being blackpilled the whole time? And, right. and we're doing. I mean, we're doing well personally. Like, you know, Darren's having a great couple of years here, but you know, and I got lots of
0: food, and I can hunt well, and I'm just yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not too worried about it. I can ride this bitch out. I think for a while, and that's then good. maybe come up with a lordship or something in the new world a lordship? if i'm lucky well i think it's a one of two things like in the next hundred years it either goes back to like kings and lords and shit or it yep. goes into like um maybe just like the communist thing with chairmans and shit i mean maybe we pull up out of that but at this yeah. point it seems tough to think that's possible and i mean people thought i was crazy two years ago when i like blew any money i had saved up and spent every cent i had grabbing stuff that i thought might be hard to get right. in a couple of years but now oh, yeah. people can't find that shit and i got you know, three freezers full of food and i'm fucking right. good to go which isn't to brag but i got kids that's like good. you so i don't want to worry about that and, and and i just had to worry about it for a little while and now my freezer's just full and it's just something i never have to think about again but i getting, think you're getting a little pudgy no, no, Graham's getting pudgy. I'm, getting, I'm probably getting a little pudgy too. Actually, I've been, I've started exercising again. I got, I, I got lax on my exercise in the off season of hunting, and I'm trying to get it back, um, in time for the fall, and hopefully keep it off. So, but I got to say, I think it's exactly what you're talking about. I go on about my complex organism thing all the time. I don't know if you've ever read any Ayn Rand, but my personal philosophy is that we're like a thousand pages before Atlas Shrug starts. And I think that the real canary in the coal mine for Western society right now is the airlines because they're one Mm -hmm. of our, you Mm -hmm. know, people take it all for granted, but it requires a lot of expertise and manpower and effort to make sure that these fucking planes going all over the world, get there on time and for the most part, always end with your bags. I mean, right. it's we all got a horror story, but you got to think, I don't know how many flights there is a day, but there's a fucking lot, a lot mm-hmm. of flights. And for the most part, they're going off without a hitch. These motherfuckers, as much as I, they drive me crazy, have like a 99.9% success rate for the most right. part. Not anymore, they don't. Now they're down to like 85 and they're canceling flights by the thousands up here in Canada And they're blaming the Arrive Can app and this and that. And I I mean, there's probably a million different things to blame. But I am personally keeping a close eye on it because I think it is the canary in the coal mine for Western society. And the Mm. airports are one of the harder things to maintain. And you know what else is hard to maintain? The supply chain. And I think that's going to be the next thing we start to go down. And then, I mean, we just had a major cell network here go down for, I mean, it wasn't only, it was bad. It was like, I mean, it was probably bad if you had Roger's phone and your bank card wasn't working, so you couldn't transfer money to a credit card, or if you didn't have a credit I mean, me saying it wasn't bad is complete privilege because I, A, don't have a Roger's phone, and B, I have a couple of credit cards that I can use at a moment's notice if my bank mm. card doesn't work. Well, if you don't, if you didn't have a ban- if you didn't have a credit card, which is probably fifty percent of the country right now, or don't have a credit card with any room on it, the way things have been, all of a sudden you go to buy your groceries and you can't buy them, and
2: right. you can't
0: use your phone to figure out what's going on, so you're panicking. And you know, people came up with all these different reasons. I even heard that maybe it was a test for the Great Reset. It was Klaus Schwab doing something. But what if it's just more in What if it's just the mm-hmm. further breakdown of what we thought we could do? And, you know, you might see how quick that shit can fall apart. I mean, I just seen yeah. that BMW is coming out with an $18 per month fucking payment plan for heated seats. <laughs> do you think that's a money grab or do you think that's just to discourage heated seats because you just don't have the parts and you can't make them here and you don't know what's going on in Taiwan? It's like we're just dumbing down. I've noticed that the fucking plateau has even stopped, and we're at the like, okay, yeah. will the train show up? I don't know. Dude, like, you know, in in our kid's life, it could get to the point where is it will the train show up? I don't know, man. It's 50-50. Probably not. I don't know. It showed up yesterday. So today, eesh, that's my maybe asking a lot.
2: Well, there's a lot of countries that are in that. I mean, they've been in that position always uh, they've never quite emerged to the state of affairs like western civilization has where things work in an orderly timely predictable fashion um and and you said you mentioning the trains is the train going to show up I mean, it reminds me of uh, my, my wife has traveled abroad more than i have and i shouldn't mention which countries but she's been to some countries and uh, and had that same exact problem. I mean, it's like, we don't know if it'll show up this hour or the next. We just have no clue, no way to predict it. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, spending every dollar you've got getting things. And, uh, I'm of the opinion currently, while everyone needs to decide what wisdom looks like and prudence looks like to some degree, uh, you know, your paper money and the money sitting in your bank account, really ain't going to matter that much to you if if things get really difficult what will matter to you is resources Uh, and there's actual uh you know money's a commodity in and of itself we just trade that one for other commodities and um you know food is going to matter bread water um that stuff matters great deal tools uh shelter you know the the very basics of of life uh, if you can't go to the grocery store and get them, if you, if you can't secure them, like you always have, then uh, your money's not going to mean anything to you. Uh, I've got a buddy, you know, my wife and I are pretty healthy. We pretty healthy. And we were teased by a friend of ours. Who's also kind of, I don't want to call him a prepper. That's always had a negative connotation, but everyone's kind of prepper these days. And he teases like, why the hell you guys freeze drying all those healthy soups and chilies. He goes, just get some Twinkies. He says Twinkies will last you like thirty years, and um, they'll fill you up. <laughs> he eats a lot of Twinkies, and um, he says, "I just got a bunch of Twinkies up in my shelves, and I thought, well, t- to each man his own. Twinkies and booze, and um, you know anything. Else. And he can he can trade that stuff and cigarettes, bullets. You got to feed those bullets. addictions too, and bullets and bullets, boots and bullets and Twinkies.
0: Yeah, oh boots. I should get a couple extra pair of boots. I got get a, good get a pair of boots." Well, I have great boots, but I only have one pair. That's a good idea to just have a backup pair.
2: Are they cold weather boots?
0: Yes, and they are top of the line. Actually, you probably heard of them being an ex-military guy. They're Loas. Oh, yeah. So I find they do a great boot. I also have my cowboy boots, which I can't put on right now because I hurt myself, jumping off the roof of the adventure van in Montana, which unfortunately (laughs) you didn't make it there. We had a little shindig on the Friday night sounds like it i jumped off the van for unknown reasons and uh, it didn't land well so i'm still wow. i'm still kind of bouncing back from that
2: that was a long time ago
0: yeah it was a long time ago i was <laughs> yeah i probably should have went for an x-ray but it seems too late now
2: let's
1: uh let's before we yeah we gotta get into the
0: ufos before yeah let's
1: hit this ufo stuff because i mean this whole phenomena has changed completely since we've i mean we've been talking about it since 2013 on the show and we've had lots of the the top ufologists on the show and stuff but i mean you come and we don't get a chance to talk to somebody from the air force like you know a top gun himself very often i mean what was it like what was it like you know in during your time there were, were you guys able to discuss ufos on your own was there an interest there did anybody see anything and then like and then what do you think of the the thing now being sort of accepted in the in the military mm-hmm. and asking for money to fucking investigate the stuff now
2: well um you know there have been a number of programs over the decades to investigate this uh that have come and gone uh, are you asking what it's like to fly a ufo or just oh yeah see yeah, one?
1: yeah well yeah fly one i guess yeah <laughs>
2: So yeah, not only was I Air Force. I'll I'll just clarify a point of order here. I was in the Space Force, of course, and we, we've mentioned this. But um, if I really truly knew something uh, that was like really cool about this topic, I probably wouldn't be able to talk about it. So I'll just I'll say I'm speculating about all of this. Um, you know, one of the one of the things uh, that every pilot, fighter pilot experiences air force fighter pilot especially you know we go fly out at the nellis range uh, and they're they're really particular about the airspace restrictions the altitude blocks you're flying at and no matter which jet you're flying uh, there is a container that's painted on what we called in my jet a multifunction display in an mfd and it shows you where area 51 is from the surface to infinity and so no matter where you're at out over the deserts you know, in some cases you're staying from 10,000 feet to to, uh, 24,000 feet and other blocks, you know, they've got different altitudes, but the container that everyone is to stay away from, it's a, it's just a perfect square sitting in the middle of your your multifunction display. It goes from surface to infinity (laughs) and, um, and they, and it's big space. It's a really big space. Uh, and so, you know, if you get close to that, You better, you better really make sure that you're turning around quickly and pointing in the opposite direction, pulling a lot of G to make sure that your jet on that multifunction display doesn't actually cross the boundary into that airspace. Uh, They will ground you. They will send you home on the next commercial flight. They're dead serious, but and they'll even brief you in the. And I'm sharing this just for some context about how serious. DOD can be about um, security class you know, about the classification of some sensitive programs and this kind of thing. Uh, they'll even they'll even go so far as say uh, if you lose an engine and you think you need to make an emergency landing and you look off your shoulder and you see that tremendously long runway that's miles long down there in Area 51, that is not your outlet. You will punch and you'll land in the desert before you go bring your aircraft in and land it on that that uh, that airstrip. And so they make it abundantly clear that that is not um, to be messed around with. Now, I've seen some people have accidentally gone into that airspace. And I mean, like their nose clipped the border. And I'm not t- saying they pressed miles on into it. I mean, their nose clipped the border and they'll be sent home. Uh, they're, I mean, they're, they're not messing around with that. And sometimes people will see on their radar screen, uh, you know, things that are happening in that airspace uh, that surprise them. Uh, now, if you picture a radar screen, if you've got, you know, let's just pretend you've got dozens and dozens of miles. Do they
0: look like opt- they look on movies? Is it like seriously the thing goes around on the green with all the circles and goes ding?
2: ding. Uh, no, it doesn't. It's a little bit more high tech than I that. These, these, uh, these displays, um, but, but they're not, you know, it's not an optical display. You can't see what you're looking at. You see symbols showing up on the screen that you're looking at. And then you've got a grid, so to speak, that that indicates to you the range of the objects you're looking at, and so let's say you see another F, a four ship of F15s out in the horizon, or you see some F16s, they will show up. Your radars, depending on which radar you're using, it's taken a snapshot, so to speak, every couple seconds, and you'll see that little dot show up. Let's say ten or twenty or thirty or forty miles away, and it shows up and it disappears, and then it updates a couple seconds later. It shows up and it disappears, and that thing's just barely tracking across your radar screen because those are long distances that they're having to cover. Even if they're going hundreds of knots, they're barely moving across your screen. And people have talked about, and they've talked about it publicly as well, but I mean, they'll see things go zipping across the screen on the radar in that airspace that is um, so utterly next order of magnitude faster than anything uh, that, that, that we know of that we fly uh, that makes people wonder if when you talk about fast moving objects things that hover things you know that people sometimes have sightings of it makes you wonder like how much of that is really government experimentation i mean it really does and I- i'm going dis- to i'll disappoint some ufo um extraterrestrial ufo enthusiasts yeah but Still, my contention to this day is that probably the preponderance of things that people see is government-related, whether it's U.S. government or some other powerful country. Uh, I mean, the capabilities of the things that you see in fifth-gen fighters, the F-22, the F-35, I mean, we've got really wicked good technology. I mean, that's like the technology of decades ago that they were experimenting on that none of us saw or heard. and and so what they're working on in the 1990s and 2000s and, and 2010s and now, I mean, it's, you know, basically in my view and the way I put it to people is whatever you can set your mind to imagine, they've been working on it for a long time. Uh, and um, whether whether or not you're ever going to hear about it, whether or not it ever becomes operational is a different question. So uh, but, like
1: literally sk- even skittering in and out of dimensions, it seems like. I mean, there's a lot of these orb videos now. Not, sorry, it's not an yeah. orb video. It's it's more of like the almost like the Tac one or that one that was taken outside the cockpit. too. my friend saw them in Vancouver. Like lights that, right. that are fl- something up there flying that skitt- Seems like strange. it's skipping in and out of d- dimensions. I mean,
2: no, yeah, I, I can't speak to the dimensional aspect of this stuff. Uh, again, uh, what I have to say about this will probably be disappointing to people, but. Some of what people see on videos could be explained any number of ways. Different angles might look different, uh, dep- depending on the vantage of the observer. I'm not saying some of that doesn't exist altogether, well, but what I'm saying is that there's far too many videos that are a little bit too fuzzy. There's yeah. far too many videos that it's like, well, uh, why did you happen to only get it for five seconds? How come I don't have the five minute video that you claim? You know, you watch this thing for an hour. Uh, so I, I tend to be skeptical of um, some of what some people purport exists. I happen to lean towards the idea that governments have done some really wicked, amazing things. That said, I've seen a UFO um, in person that I can't explain, uh, and uh, and I know a lot of other people have seen something like it. But it wasn't something that would be manned. I don't know if you've ever heard oh, okay. me talk yeah. about this story. It was no, no. Let's let's hear okay. it. Yeah. Uh, in high school, this is before I ever joined the service. Uh, actually,
1: did it have something to do with you joining?
2: No, it didn't. Um, I was with a girl on a mountain, uh, on, on in the foothills of Tucson, and uh, we were we were out. It was nighttime, sun had set a while back, and um, it had the appearance of. Uh, a large basketball that was glowing like light. Uh, It was alive. It was moving. And I couldn't tell how high it was. And it was not fleeting. I mean, it was big enough. It was within a mile probably of us. And it scared us uh, quite a bit. It was a very perfectly round. People think, oh, it's ball lightning. But this wasn't a fleeting phenomenon. This is for a couple of minutes. We had a really strange experience with this ball of light. Is the best thing I can, uh, the best description I can use uh, for the object. But I couldn't tell when it was probably a mile or two away whether it was solid or whether it was something that was less solid. But when both when I when I pointed out to her what I, I said, "Are you seeing this?" and she said, "Yeah, I'm seeing it." When we both took notice of this thing, it zipped down right over our heads without any sound, and it stayed put. And and again, I. I'm guessing I could have, it was close enough. I could have hit it with a rock. Wow. Wow! Uh, and I can't, I don't know if that was 25 feet away or 55 feet. You know, you couldn't really tell, but once it got closer, uh, I could tell it was no longer completely a solid object. Uh, it was, and I, I don't want to understate, and I risk understating how significant this, it was a really unique experience. Um, it was like a, it was like a, perfect uh formed glowing orb of fire and energy uh that seemed to be very aware of us wow uh and it wasn't something that a man could make it wasn't something a government could make it wasn't a fleeting ball of lightning that the cosmos uh randomly generated and it showed up and then it disappeared i mean it zipped down it was a uh you know i'm not one that like i don't like to make up i like to mean what i say say what i mean uh, and, the, and In fact, this will be surprising. I'd forgotten about it. And I'm married now for 11 years. And in 2020, I watched a documentary. I think it's on Netflix or Amazon. Uh, it's called Phenomenon. It was a 2020 documentary about UFOs. And it came at the recommendation of some friends. And about halfway through these air traffic controllers were describing something they had seen on flight lines. And it looked like this big orange basketball or this ball. And it was zipping across back and forth on the flight line. And I paused it. And I said to my wife, I've seen that before. And she goes, no, you haven't. I said, no, really I have. It was on this mountain with this girl in Tucson. And that's why I've never told you about it. And I forgot about it, but it was with this other girl, you know? And so I get on Facebook and I, and I, I say, come here, it's 11 at night. And I at the time I lived in Denver, Colorado in 2020. And I said, watch, let's go send a message to this girl I was with. I said, I know I'm friends with her on Facebook. I haven't talked to her for 20 years. I said, let's send her a note and I won't plant any ideas. And I, I type her, I said, Hey Kate, uh, how's it going? Long time no see. Hey, do you remember that experience we had in the mountains in high school? That's all I said. And she, she says, you mean that freaking UFO that came zipping down <laughs> over our heads? And so my wife was shocked. She's like, how come you didn't tell me about this? I said, I don't know. I forgot all about it. But it's it's really quite well depicted in the documentary phenomenon, 2020 documentary. And that's that's the best I can do to describe it. And then it zipped off. So we get scared. We run to the car. It zips off. And it just disappears. Uh, but, you know, again, this wasn't a momentary thing. It lasted a while. Um, so it was uh, it was some object I can't explain. I don't think it originated on this Earth, uh, necessarily. I don't know if it was atmospheric or exo-atmospheric, but it was there, and it was real close by.
1: Did you have an unreasonable fear to it? Do you know? Because you hear about those fears that people have, but it's just yep. like
2: uh no what do you well i don't know what you mean by an unreasonable well because some
1: people get so scared that they're fucking stunned like they're just like it's not just a normal fear like where you know you're kind of scared and you run away but some people get paralyzed with fear no
2: i wasn't paralyzed with fear uh yeah i I was knocking on on doors in junior high and ringing doorbells and running with one of my buddies and a guy came and chased us with a gun (laughs) and that was about the that was like the level of energy of fear. I mean, I ran for my life when I saw that guy getting his truck with his gun and like, it was like one level below that. I thought this is freaking me out. We got to get out of here. And we picked up our chair. We ran to our car and we booked, you know, we booked it down the mountain. And, um, but it was, if it had, if it had seemed like a manned object and it looked like that, you know, maybe it would have freaked us out even more, but it, it seemed it had no, harmful intention. It didn't seem like it had much intention other than an awareness of us. And it knew that we took awareness. We took notice of it. And so it zipped on down to let us know like, Hey, I'm aware of you as well. Like a time traveling pro. Yeah. That sounds weird.
0: No, I mean, Graham's a UFO summoner. So, I mean, you just, you're like describing his dream experience. He goes out into the woods and prays for UFOs. And sometimes (laughs) they
2: come. I've seen some documentaries about that too. Uh, Let me, let me add in one detail if you were to stick out your hand and reach for this thing, if it was that close, it had the appearance as if my hand would have gone inside of it. That's kind of like the consistency of, of this thing. Yeah, uh, Do you think I it see, could have been I a probe of
0: some it. sort, like a time probe or something like that? Or like, I mean, cause you've been kind of been around that, those space probes yeah. and stuff.
2: Well, I've got this really strange series of scars now on my back that are really freaky. Yes. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh Anyway, that's that's my real life experience with UFOs. I never got any closer to that, uh, even uh, in the Space Force or flying jets. Uh, But I do know that governments take very seriously the things that they're working on. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised, frankly. I mean, this is just an idea. You probably thought about it. I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't put it past a government who's trying to cover their tracks and cover um, the actual work they're doing on those kinds of technologies to frankly brainwash some people, make them think they were abducted and to let them go out and run their mouths and seem like total whack jobs so that the rest of society hears about these stories over time and says, all right, well, people that have those experiences are totally nutty. They're on the fringe. They've got something wrong with them. Uh, and the, and the government laughs and, and, uh, wipes his hands of it and says, well, that did the job. You know, no one's really going to take this kind of stuff seriously for a very long time. And um, now I'm not saying I know that that's taken place, but I do know there's plenty of mind control experimentation, brainwashing uh, in various forms. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if governments haven't tried to do stuff like that in order to, to have people share stories that would discredit something that's very real.
1: Yeah, they're black projects. Oh,
0: especially right. in yeah. today's world. I mean, if I just tell the average person four things that the CIA has admitted to, they right. will be like, you're <laughs> fucking crazy, bro.
2: You're, you're a fringy nut job. Yeah, yeah. they've done some weird stuff. I mean, governments do weird, weird stuff. Uh, in the modern world, they do weird, weird stuff.
1: And I mean, maybe they've harnessed that technology that you saw, too. I mean, they could be it's, it's you know, back engineering, all that stuff. Or, you know, I've just never
2: you know. seen anything like it. Um, yeah. You know, here, here's just one other thought. I know we're buttoning up against time. No, no, but, we're we're okay. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, this was an unclassified briefing, and so I, I can talk about it. But, yeah, you know, I've seen in laboratories things that people have been making in the government to alter weather patterns. Um, and they talked about what they were trying to do with these canisters that they would, um. That they would release uh, that that were in, intended to change weather. Okay, yep. Yep. Uh, this has been around a long time. Now, having seen that, and I'm I'm changing topics wildly. Mm-hmm. Having seen that, I've always uh, on the chemtrails discussion. I've always been on the side of the argument that says that's not a thing. It's the funniest thing. It's like no, I've seen people make canisters that are intended to change the weather, and I don't believe that the chemtrails stuff. Is a thing, right? And that part of that's like the real lived experience year after year after year of spending time in jets and cockpits and knowing how contrails work. Well, uh, I'm going to be on, uh, uh, there's a TV series that's coming up about conspiracy theories that Sebastian Gorka is going to be doing. And there's there's one of the episodes is on chemtrails, and I've been asked to come in and oh my god, uh, be one of the voices that debunks the conspiracy oh. <laughs> theory of chemtrails. And um, so I thought, you know, I don't like debunking anything unless I do my homework. So I just bought a book on chemtrails, uh, oh and I'm, I'm reading that. Oh, I you got to check
0: it. out the Jim Lee stuff. You okay, got to so check out the me, Jim Lee stuff. Tell me where
2: I need to go because I want to. What I'd love to do is go on and say I have done my homework. I already didn't believe in it. Now I've done my homework and I'm telling you it's a bunch of garbage, but I'd really also like to come on and say, you know, I didn't believe in it. And now after having studied, I can't help but escape this. Like there's something going on here. And and I was supposed to come on and disabuse the American people of this conspiracy theory. But now, sorry, I'm adding my voice to the opposite side of the aisle. This is a thing you got to be concerned. Well, and they're trying to do this. that, and the Well,
0: other the two. Jim Lee angle is great because he comes out and says right at the beginning, look, I don't care if they're chemtrails or contra- contrails. I don't give it. I don't care you can just, let's just, for the sake of the argument, we'll call them plane farts and boat farts. Okay. And what he really gets into is it's just literally the amount of artificial clouds that we're creating, especially with the super tankers going across the ocean or creating these clouds that are like, you know, thousands of kilometers wide. And especially you got this just going back and forth and back Mm -hmm. and forth over the Pacific ocean. And he's talking about how that's creating these super clouds That are now sucking up all that moisture where it used to rain more often. Now they're just able to keep Mm -hmm. sucking up moisture because we just keep making those clouds bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when they do rain, it fucking floods the shit out of us, which I mean has been happening here in Cal. Jim Lee, yeah.
1: But he also goes through it's all documented. It's okay. all the weather.
0: Weather weather
1: modification programs all over, you know, weather modification inc and all the government programs and all the stuff they've been doing for decades. Okay. And a lot I'll of it's out of it. I mean, a lot of it's out of planes, right? I mean, some of it's sure. ground based. It's steam generation from the ground and all this, or like I don't know where they're planning on f- shooting those canisters that you saw, well, there's, like
2: there's no better place to do it from the you know, the bottoms or backs of aircraft. Yeah. I mean, like you could send people up in balloons and have them dump it over the side. But so, so what do you, what's your
1: opinion then on why these persistent contrails are here now as opposed to in the 80s or whatever? Like, how come they last so long? Like, here, every once in a while, like today, it was a beautiful blue sky, but tomorrow, We could see a pattern of all these persistent contrails. So why why tomorrow not today, and why do they last so long if they're not supposed to last so long?
0: You could probably deduce
2: gram stance on chemtrails just from that question. <laughs> I love leading questions. That's good. Well, here I'll admit up front, <clears throat> there are certain things I know and don't know. This isn't something I've spent a lot of time studying, but I do know how. I do know about the formation of contrails and the atmospheric. So the short answer is atmospheric conditions
1: right
2: now, but having said that, so in the flying community, for example, a part of your step brief every day to go out to the jet and a part of the pre brief to go out and fly any mission, depending on the platform you're flying is you need to know exactly what altitudes you can create contrails at, and what type of right. contrails you're going to be producing, because you either, depending on what platform you're in, want to avoid Producing contra- contrails, or you want to be up in the cons so that you can produce contrails. And as in the F-15 community, we like to be up in the cons. up in the
0: cons. You say up in the cons like it's a higher altitude thing. So could well, we be flying it changes, higher?
2: It changes from day to day.
0: So here's another question then, because so like, I, I think, what about all the Wi-Fi the- and all these radio signals?
2: Is that changing the hey, dude, atmosphere? I'm not, I'm not done talking about okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's that's a, an altogether different topic that's worth uh Deep diving, um, but no, the con So, like, I might step to the desk one day, and 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 they say, "Hey, from twenty to twenty-five thousand feet is where you're going to generate contrails. The atmospheric conditions are right in that altitude block, and so we might, as F-15s, fly de- deliberately in the twenty to twenty-five block." That might change the very next morning, and it might be thirty thousand to thirty-eight thousand feet. We'll fly in that altitude block to make sure we're generating cons, and it's simply a function of atmospheric conditions. And we'll generate the cons. Sometimes they're short and they dissipate, dissipate really quickly, and other times they last for miles and miles. And if we're trying to draw attention to ourselves as a four ship or an eight ship, and you want an adversary a hundred miles downrange to, to cage their eyes up in the sky and say, "Wow," so they
0: see well, the formation. There's a, there's a
2: four ship or an eight ship of jets up in the cons that we know they're at 30,000 feet, what they don't see is some other stuff taking place outside of the cons, right? And so there's reasons we choose to fly in the cons and not fly in the cons, and that changes on a day-to-day basis. So a simple answer to the question is atmospheric conditions. What I can't answer is just about every other question you might ask me (laughs) that that you've learned about chemtrails from these books and these documentaries, because I've just simply never looked into them. I've, I've not... so. I'm going to start though because probably in a month or two I'm going to I'm going to have to answer questions like yeah. the ones you might tee yeah. up and I'd like to, you know, demonstrate I've actually spent some time.
0: Yeah. I'm forward. not really into the chemtrail thing either personally, <laughs> but there does seem to be Oh, there does seem to be way more stuff in the sky now, and I can't yeah, think—is yeah. it—is it because we've got all these radio waves? Is that somehow changing the medium, or is it because mm-hmm. there's just way more shit flying around than there was before, or is it because there's way more cameras? Because
1: it turns. Into but no one can show clouds, me can a picture it, from 1965
0: with the shit that I see over Vegas once in a while. Mm-hmm. I sent Grandma a picture of one the other day. Was just like a perfect X. Over, yeah, it was the first of day of Calgary
2: Stampede. And the weather's uh, been beautiful what's ever what's since. More, <laughs> what's more terrifying in uh, this? Okay. What's more terrifying than a contrail or chemtrail X over the skies that are man made is a giant X across North America that's created by two solar eclipses that are seven years apart. The next one's coming in April. April 8th, I think, is the date of 2024. Because mankind cannot create those kinds of things. But they're you know this the north americas if it's possible at all that the heavens communicate something to mankind about what's unfolding on the earth and the ancient world very much believed that they should pay attention to the things that were happening up there as an indication of things that were going to be unfolding down here if there's anything to that at all and my personal view is that there actually is something to that kind of uh symbol or sign Uh, then maybe that's something we ought to pay attention to and be very concerned about. But the first one came, uh, uh, well, six years ago. Did you see Um, it? I I was not in the path of totality. Uh, So in order to get, you know, go look at a map for the path of totality of April 8th, 2024. Well,
0: I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you you because we're doing an event and we're getting Randall Carlson down there. He's going to... He's. I mean, Randall's. he doesn't even know we're going to make him do a speech yet, but he just already <laughs> said he's in. We got Dave Matheson's already said he's in. Oh, good. good we're yeah. very close true. to securing a venue right now with the Brothers of the Serpent, uh, who do Cosmography, mm-hmm. of course, yeah, with yeah. Randall. So they're on the path of totality. Right now, we're in conversations to get uh, like 100 Acres. Or so, so that we can do a proper festival with some bands and some speakers, and we're going to do it right from the April 5th to 9th, so that everyone can get in and settle in to their campground before all the crazy traffic hits, because I I went to the one down in Oregon, and the traffic was fucking insane. Oh, I bet. So, and then everyone can stay the night that night and get out of there the next morning. But I mean, we'd love to have you down there. I know you're a big Randall fan. He's going yeah, to be yeah. there. And I don't think you'll find a better group of uh, right. people than the couple hundred of us that'll be down there to hopefully see the, uh, the solar
2: eclipse come through Bandera. Yeah. it, it uh, I'm looking at a map now. It looks like it goes <laughs> roughly speaking, uh, through Montreal and Toronto, Detroit, it's just south of St. Louis, Missouri, um, right through Dallas, Texas. Yeah, we chose down yeah. there just because
0: it looks like if you look at the like average um, cloud cover and stuff like that, oh, yeah. it's just oh, the place yeah. you're most likely not to have cloud cover that time of year.
2: So where are you doing it?
0: We're doing it uh, just outside of Bandera, Texas.
2: Oh, you are? Good.
0: Uh, Bandera.
1: And the cross... Which would funny. be just, that'd be just west
0: is. of St. San Antonio. Yeah, where's the, the, the X yeah. hit? Where's the X it's over? It's like
2: Missouri is screwed. I mean, Missouri is oh, like boy. right under the X. <laughs> is there
0: a super volcano there? I hope not. No, not, not okay, to good. my
2: knowledge. Uh, if it was over Yellowstone, man, that would be That would be huh? trouble.
0: And there's that other super volcano in California too, right? The I forget what it's called. Well, Matt, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. We don't want to keep you any longer than we've had you. Where can people get the book? Where can they find the mm-hmm. podcast? Can they follow you on social media? All that stuff.
2: Uh, you can find the book anywhere. Uh, Amazon is very cheap right now, actually. It's like 86% off its uh, normal price. So it's like $3.80 for a hard cover uh, copy on amazon but you can request personalized signed copies at my website matthewlomeyer.com my last name is spelled l-o-h-m-e-i-e-r uh, and also I'd, I'd recommend people go to uh check out my show um if you want a downer uh and an informative downer go read my book um, but you can also go check out the Matt Lohmeyer show on YouTube. And, uh, you know, I've got three interviews on there with Randall right now. I just interviewed Ben Davidson from Suspicious oh, Observer. Nice. Oh, yeah, Ben's good. And, and we talked, uh, plasma physics and, and solar cycles and that kind of thing. It was fun. You know, I mean, real good information. Is there an audio book? There is. It's on Audible nice great yeah, narrated by uh, you you that narrated was, it you yourself great i apologize in advance it's, uh, no, it's good. oh no it's you good. got a
0: great it's... voice and if you're doing a podcast already i mean you yeah. had all the stuff to do it so
2: well yeah that came later <laughs> oh but uh you know the the podcast is going to have um some interesting information and news uh over the the next six to 12 months i think people will find benefit in some of the material that shows up there Uh, And in addition to interviewing some interesting guests about a whole range of uh, topics, I'll also fly solo sometimes and uh, just share some insight on some things I'm researching. And uh, I'm also documenting some of the purge that's going on of our military right now. I've uh, just recently interviewed a uh, a top gun instructor pilot, F-35 qualified pilot, F-16 pilot and they're all on the chopping block about to be pushed out of the military.
0: Wow. Uh, Are you doing Navy too? Maybe I'll tell my buddy Steve to get in touch. I think he's like 24 years in or something like that. Jeez.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm if, uh, you know, the, the F 35 pilot I just interviewed, he's a Marine Corps pilot. He was the top gun instructor pilot. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in helping these service members find a voice uh, because, you know, you can't always share your voice uh, in your active-duty environment. And so coming on a podcast, chatting openly with the disclaimer, of course, that their views are only theirs and not those of the Defense Department. Uh, so they don't get – there's a guy that just showed up on Tucker Carlson, didn't make that statement. He just got <sighs> written – a written oh, wow. punishment. Uh, so there's he's kind of going viral on Twitter right now. But, uh, yeah, I mean – uh, I think there'll be some good information there in the future Matt Lohmeyer, Matt Lohmeyer show.
1: Well, we, you know, we really appreciate you, you know, talking about your book. I know there's a bunch of other stuff you want to talk about cause you're interested in so many things. I love yeah. that. Um, but yeah, we really appreciate you kind of going back and, re- and reviewing your whole space Force story in the book and all that. Sure. It's, it's uh, I think that's important as well. And yeah, we'll keep in touch for sure. And good luck with you. Well, show. come visit
0: us in, uh, we'll be in Washington the last half of September with our mutual friend, Randall Carlson. Yeah. I don't think you're too far away. If you want to swing by for a couple of days, we'll be in soap Lake there. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. About five hours away. Yeah. We've
0: got one, one from the 19th to the 24th. And then he's got the week we're giving him the weekend off. And then we've got another one from September 26th to October 1st.
1: And open up your borders.
0: Yeah. And open up your borders. So yeah. Graham can quit sneaking why, in. Why can't
1: we, when are we <laughs> going to be able to go into your country without showing papers?
2: Uh, uh, you know, just, um, go down to the Southern border. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <a>, we've
0: been <laughs> joking. We'll just fly into Mexico first. <laughs>
2: hey, I spoke, I spoke at a conference with a woman from Australia, um, a few months back and, uh, Australia at the time wasn't allowed in the country. And I, and I asked her at the conference, I said, how did you get here? She was invited. She'd been invited for months. Uh, She's a popular speaker. She said, I flew to Mexico and I walked across your border. And she talked about that in her speech at a conservative conference because she, she was really hoping to be able to make it happen and make the point. So there she was, she's like, Hey, you know, Australians aren't allowed to be here right now, but I just flew to Mexico and came over. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty wild.
0: Well, if that's something you're interested in, uh, just shoot us an email. If Even if you want to come to the whole thing, let me know and I'll make sure we got a spot for you. And, Thank you, 19
2: uh, to 24, September.
0: Yeah, or 26 to the 1st. So we're doing two weeks in a row, Monday to awesome. Saturday.
2: Awesome. Thank you.
0: And, uh, yeah, Matt, thanks for coming on the show, and come back anytime. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Graham.
1: See you, buddy. Thanks.
0: And that was a chat with Matt Lomar. What would you think, buddy?
1: Oh, yeah, fantastic, dude. It was uh, yeah, pushing all the right buttons.
0: Well spoken. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was good. Yeah, very. I know. I was a bit shocked at the beginning. He's like, let's just chat about whatever you want. Yeah. And it's like, woof, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, good. I mean, I feel like he. I. I kind of feel like he's been. You know, if you get pushed out of the military like that, you, you, you know, you probably got a, some balls on you to sort of just. Hey, okay, we'll, dedic- just, we'll dedicate this episode about- to Steve. Yeah.
0: Our our buddy who's in the process of of getting kicked out of the military for his beliefs. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, that was a great chat. Thanks for hooking
1: it up. No I didn't get to meet him. It was a good. It was a good book too, because he got into Mao, like you mentioned. Mao, and you hadn't even read the book. He got into the struggle sessions and all that in the book. Like it's fantastic. He really put a lot of context into like this has been talked about for a long time. This yeah, Marxism connection with what's sucks. happening right now.
0: <laughs> it sucks the history thing. Sucks if you don't know it. I mean, so many of these <laughs> fucking dummies haven't read a history book that were fucked. It sucks, but maybe we're not. I mean, it might, uh-oh, I'm getting a farmer's tan. Look at that. That's not good. That's not good. So, yeah, big thanks to Matt for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, even bigger thanks for one of our supporters. Head over to grindamerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation. If you, if you think you're supporting but you're not sure, you should maybe double-check it because these things drop off all the time with the PayPal glitches. And Graham's doing this full-time. I mean, he did almost die a couple times in the last week, once on a bike and once on a hike. But he seems to be pulling through. I Man, mean, I'm you, doing you're, that for the show. You're, you're know, going I mean, for it. You're doing it, it for the doing show. It. Doing what? because oh, of the weight loss challenge?
1: No, no, no. Oh. And then just, you know, we, you're, you're, we've got a friend of the show uh, in town, and I'm trying to show him around, you know, be a good, a good podcast host. You should invite him
2: over. <laughs>
0: Big thanks to Matt for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Like I said, we'd love it if you were a plus supporter. Uh, the books we we're talking about are over at adultbrain.ca. The tours we we're talking about are over at contact at the cabin.com. If you want to join the chats because social media sucks, head over to graymerica.ca slash chats and you get a social media that's, you know, sucks less. So, just kidding. It doesn't even suck at all. It's great. I think that's about it. You got anything else? That's it, thanks. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.